What's going on, everyone? Welcome to Round Trip here on 89.1 WXVU. It is Monday, February 3rd, Super Monday. I'm Pat Zhang alongside Conrad Bayer and executive producer Jack Sherwood. How are we doing, boys? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Very good. There we go. There we go. All right, now we can get things started. But it was the Super Bowl over the weekend. See, we're trying new things. We're trying to figure out ways to, to make it better. Unfortunately, with these two microphones down, it's been a little difficult. Uh, so Conrad and Jack have had to share the same mic. So we're trying to bring in exterior mics. But if it's going to echo like that, unfortunately, we're just going to have to stick at it this way and hope that these eventually get fixed. But now we can actually get into it. Um, first of all, as we'll start with our shout outs, as we always do, thank you so much to Connor, Jordy, Megan, Jules, Shannon, Joe, Rebecca, Rick, Dan, Brian, Jack, Madeline, Katie, Cap City, Uncle Ken, Aunt Diane, Marie, Joe, Johnny, Mom, Dad, Bear, Sherwoods, Woods, Moyes, everyone and anyone. Thank you so much for listening. The Instagram is round underscore tripper 23 and the podcast goes live every Tuesday morning on iTunes and Spotify. Just search round tripper. That's two words. Conrad, how was your weekend? Me? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're Conrad. It was good. It was good. Had a lot of fun. It was good. Didn't have to race, so it was fun. Had a Relax. lot of wings yesterday? A little bit. Yeah. It's pretty good, That's right? Yeah, the buffalo chicken good. dip was fantastic. Buffalo chicken dip was good. Yeah. It was a good time. All right. Sweet. Good time at the grog. It was a good time at the grog. All right, so we are going to get into our Super Bowl coverage. And the Kansas City Chiefs defeated the San Francisco 49ers 31-20. to in Miami for the Chiefs' first Super Bowl win in 50 years. That is since, I believe, January 11th, 1970. Super Bowl four for Sherwood, that I'm sure remembers that. 23-7 uh, to win over the Minnesota Vikings. The cost of a 30-second commercial was $78,000, as compared to the $5.7 million it cost last night. And Len Dawson was the MVP for the Chiefs. He went 12-17 for 17 for 148 yards. So it just shows you how much the game has changed since then. Who announced that game? Uh, Jack Buck, actually. Who announced the game yesterday? Joe Buck. That was a really cool graphic. That, I was, actually, cool. I re- that was very cool. I, I, I was definitely a fan of that. And it's very cool 50 years on to, uh, to have that type of um, family heritage in, uh, in the business. But So how was the game won? We'll start there. We've got a bunch of things to run through with this. As we said, the Chiefs won 31-20. What happened to get to that point? Uh, I think just if you get, it's, you know, like the saying is if you give a mouse a cookie, or you give you give an inch, you'll take a mile. I think that's exactly what happened yesterday with the Kansas City Chiefs. Is for about fifty minutes. I don't want to say San Francisco dominated the game, but um, you know they definitely had you know played a lot better than they did, and then they just had, had the ball up ten with nine minutes left, close to midfield, and they had to punt. And then you just you know you can't you can only stop Patrick Mahomes so many times, and then obviously. That's from twenty one to zero in the last seven minutes of the game, which um yeah, it's kinda like for the casual sports fan or the diehard from the casual sports fan up, I think you knew that was gonna happen once Mahomes got the ball back. It was kind of like it was only time until he would wake up in a sense and would just kinda like just do what he did. And also too, obviously you don't wanna wanna leave an NFL wide receiver open. But I'm pretty sure Tyreek Hill is probably one or two wide receivers in the whole NFL that you just don't want to let, like, get behind your secondary. And, like, third and 15 in the Super Bowl, like, just, what, like, what was up with that defense? Yeah, that was pretty poor. And uh, on your stat with the Chiefs, they became the first team in Super Bowl history to score 21 points on offense in the fourth quarter there on yeah. the, with that 10-point deficit. Conrad? Uh, I would have to say that the turning point was when... I believe it was after Kansas City threw, got their first touchdown 
or first touchdown in the comeback that made it 2017. And I believe the next series, San Francisco went three and out and just did not look good. I think that three and out was really the turning point because if the 49ers get, let's say, two or three first downs, let's say they don't even get into field goal range to extend the lead to six, I think just the amount of time they take off the clock really puts a lot more pressure on Mahomes um, and then Kansas City offense to really move the ball down the field quickly, even because they just kind of took their time on that that drive after that three and out, who were able to really think more into what plays they were going to pick and have Tyreek Hill just be able to get open and Sammy Watkins just go down the sidelines. Um, I think that three and out by that Chiefs defense, which, as you've been saying, kind of this whole postseason is better than people are giving them credit for. They really stepped up and kind of took that game, took control of that game in the fourth quarter. Yeah, absolutely. And especially for that Chiefs defense, uh, Chris Jones, the defensive tackle, wrecked a lot of havoc for them in the middle of that defense there. Tipped two passes, a lot of quarterback pressures on Garoppolo. But, I mean, the story with this Chiefs team has been comebacks this whole postseason. A 24-point comeback against the Texans in the divisional round. A 10-point deficit against the Titans that they turned around very quickly. And again, a 10-point deficit against San Francisco. Now, to start with a moment that I thought was a game-sealing moment at first was when Mahomes threw his second interception in the fourth quarter. Just a such an un-Mahomes-like play where he just seemingly lost his head on that, and that's because the 49ers got a lot of pressure on him all day. That Niners defensive line definitely was able to create a lot of a lot of issues for Kansas City, and Mahomes didn't look like Mahomes through the first three quarters. You had some really nice plays out of him, but it wasn't the oh-my-God that he normally was. But the turning point has to be, for me, what Sherwood said there. It's Tyree Kill. It's third and 15 for the Niners. You're up 10. You know they have to go down the field in that opportunity. ESPN put the the Chiefs at a 3.9% chance to win the game for that third and 15. You just had the reversed call with Tyreek Hill dropping the pass, which would have given them a first down. They needed to just get them off the field in that instance. And if they get them off the field, San Francisco wins that game because there's seven and a half minutes left. They're going to be able to run the ball, run that clock down. I don't believe Kansas City is able to get in front of you there. That's the turning point for me. It was a great job by Mahomes to be able to step out and roll up a little bit in the pocket. As you said, I don't know how Tyreek Hill is able to get that open. From what I've read, it was just a really solid crossing route uh, between receivers that the that the Chiefs ran, and the Niners' uh, coverage just kind of got tripped up following the wrong guys. But that was the difference in this game. That was the the inch that San Francisco wore, 30 yards. Yeah, that's, 44, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think even though going back is giving them, what Conrad said was giving them the ball back. And mm-hmm. after you said the turning point was the second interception, they had second and five from the forty from their own forty three yard line, and they threw it twice with seven minutes left. Does that sound familiar? Is familiar, Kyle Shanahan? Mm, we'll the, that in a little you bit. have one of the best running games, like in NFL postseason history over the last two games, and you were doing well. But it's like that's the ground and pound. That's the knock it out drive. Like I remember Big Cat tweeted out with nine minutes left. And he said, Kansas City might not even get the ball back the rest mm-hmm. of the game. And that was... That's what our friend Dan thought. Yeah. Like, literally, like literally there was a... Sh- I think there was a more... There's a better shot Kansas City wouldn't get the ball back than Kansas City winning at that point. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. So, on Mahomes, then, how do you evaluate Mahomes' performance last night? And was he right to be named MVP? For the first three quarters, he actually did not play that well. He just was making a lot of unpatched Mahomes plays. He wasn't really able to get away from the pressure and kind of do stuff out of the pocket. He was able to get some running, uh, rushing yards, pick up a couple first downs with his feet, but it was nothing like we've been used to watching. 
And I, I don't know if that's just because Patrick Mahomes, we come to expect so much out of him or like he just didn't look good. Um, but that fourth quarter with those, the last three drives and scoring touchdowns on all of them, I think makes up for it. I think you have to name him the Super Bowl MVP because without, basically without, with probably any other quarterback, you're not able to do that because that 49ers um, front four just got so much pressure and he was able to actually finally figure that out in the fourth quarter where like you could see Garoppolo wasn't able to do similar things in a similar situation. Going off that, I actually have a stat from CBS Sports uh, that uh, posted a stat today and said Garoppolo was three of eleven for thirty six mm, yards. I was going to hit that two point. Do you want to do you want to take take it? No, no, go for that. When we talked about Garoppolo, I was going to go there, yeah. but go for it. And he pass rating was two point eight. Mahomes was ten of seventeen, one hundred forty one yards and one hundred point four pass rating. And I think that just what Comrade said. First three quarters, I actually texted my family saying I think Josh Allen could play better than this. <laughs> like he was playing very, very. It was. I had never seen Pat Mahomes. He didn't even seem flustered. He just kind of like seemed bad. Yeah, he was bad. Like he threw the the first pick was well behind Tyreek Hill. Yeah. You know, Granny still got a hand on it, but like Mahomes makes that pass like nine hundred ninety nine times. No, it was a, a bad throw. And then the second one was a bad decision. Yeah, two things that you just don't see this and guy do. Yeah, you don't see him do it. And then just at the end of the day, it was it reminded me very similar of what Trevor Lawrence did against Ohio State, where he mm-hmm. got the ball at the ten yard line, drove straight downfield, touchdown, and it was the same thing with Mahomes, where it was pressure. Like what pressure? I'm gonna put this team on my back and I'm going to, you know, and I'm going to lead them to the victory and the biggest game of his life. I also read, this was his first ever bowl win in his football career. So he never won a college bowl game and he won the Super Bowl. Like, you know, arbit- arbitrarily the biggest bowl game, you know, there I would is. say so, I would say so. <laughs> but it was, and that's, I think that just at the end, who are you going to give it to though? Besides, like when you put up what you said, 21 points, most points ever in a fourth quarter. Maybe Sammy Watkins, he had a great game, but he Watkins didn't. Watkins played very well. He played Former amazingly Buffalo well. Bill. Yeah, I was happy for him. I, I'll say it. I was happy for him. I was a little upset Shady wasn't active, but... He still gets a ring. Yeah, he does. And that's yeah. why. Then he, um, But that's... He played and he played very well. But I think it's just... It was Mahomes, what you said. You know, kind of what, why you asked the city to deserve MVP. Yes, fourth quarter, bright lights came on. He stepped up. Yeah, and, and to draw off your comparison to Trevor Lawrence as well, what Mahomes did very well in this game was use his legs, as yeah. Lawrence did against Ohio State. So he finished with just 29 yards. That's because he lost 15 on the final drive with the kneel downs. So um, rest in peace to anyone that had the over for his rushing, which was at 32 and a half uh, since he entered that drive with uh, 45. So that kind of wow. stung a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, but for Mahomes, I mean, you had the option play that he had the touchdown on where he got out to his right and did the beautiful fake, got in the end zone for the Chiefs' first touchdown, you know, scrambled down the sideline a couple times, as we said. Just the biggest thing that he did was able to being able to step up in the pocket because Bosa was on him the entire game, but Bosa only had a sack and a half. DeForest Buckner also had a sack and a half. They could have been much, much worse if he wasn't as mobile as he was. And then he had the play where he rolled out towards the goal line to his right, in which he fumbled when he was going down, but the ball went out of bounds. So Mahomes' legs was actually a huge part of this game. Well, Garoppolo only had two yards on the ground, really was planted inside the pocket. And Kansas City doesn't have a great pass rush, has a good pass rush. Shout out Tano Passanio, who is a Super Bowl champion from Villanova. But Garoppolo wasn't able to really create anything in that instance. And then when it comes to the fourth quarter, as much as I love Damian Williams, playoff Damian, as Mm -hmm. Joe Buck uh, christened him yesterday with 17 carries and 104 yards, it's got to go to Mahomes. It, it does. Just how special he was in the fourth quarter. The Kelsey touchdown there to uh, to bring him within one score. Then the Damian Williams dump off to to give them the lead. He is the guy. He's just, uh, you think about it too, 
at the end of the game, who do you want saying I'm going to Disneyland? It's kind of the best quarterback in the league. Looks a little yeah. better too. So I, I can't say I'm shocked that the NFL gave it to him. But it's also tough to tough to fully take it away. Listen, if you graded off those first three quarters, no, abs- absolutely not. It's Chris Jones and it's Damian Williams. But when it came down to it, he led them back to the win. And that's why the Kansas City Chiefs are Super Bowl champions. So moving along, going to the, his opposite counterpart then, Jimmy Garoppolo. Good enough? Not good enough? I think I don't think he's... I don't know. I think it was a big... I think he's good enough. I take that back. I think he's good enough. I think just when the pressure got to me, stumbled a little bit. I was telling you the story, Pat, that they talk about the Joe Montana story when he mm-hmm. saw John Candy in the huddle and he pointed to the offensive line. He was down three with, I believe, three minutes left, like at his only eight-yard line, Super Bowl 23, and he said, hey, isn't that the actor John Candy? And I think he was like a rookie, or he was, I think he was younger at that point, so everyone just kind of was like, holy cow, like, you know, he's going to be good, and they let him down. Just kind of showed where his nerves were, and I thought Jimmy Garoppolo was going to do that because he, it's similar to Patrick Mahomes. He didn't show much emotion. He's kind of been very, like, you know, seems good at taking a deep breath and being able to throw the ball and not get too big in the moment. But I think what you said, I think credit goes to that defense, Kansas City defense that continually the whole year no one really talked about. And I think they stepped up to give the opportunity back to the offense to score. I think he, I think he played good enough. I think, I mean, obviously the fourth quarter was rough, but if you take out that fourth quarter, he started the game, I believe, 18 of 24, 18 of 22 or something, um, which is especially going after, following up a game where you he it only took eight passes mm-hmm. to win or something like that. Uh, it was very impressive, and he showed he can do it, and that the stage wasn't too big. But that fourth quarter, when they were behind and try, had to make some moves, he missed that one throw to, I believe Emmanuel it was Sanders. Emmanuel Sanders. And he just overthrew him by a little bit. He hits that pass. Yes, the Chiefs might still win, because I believe there was 90 seconds on the clock. And Patrick Mahomes, as we know, is just an absolute animal and probably wouldn't feel the pressure either. But I mean, really besides that and that first, his first interception was a rough one. He really, he should have just either thrown it away, taken a sack when he tried to force it. And it just did not look good. He's lucky that wasn't a pick six because Breland had a lot of space in front of him. His momentum just took him out of bounds. Yeah. So, I mean, really you take, you take that out the second interception, like you're just trying to force the ball down the field. There's really nothing you can do there, but yeah, I, the play calling did come into effect here too. Cause when they were, yeah, I believe it was, I think this was the same sequence uh, Jack was just talking about earlier when they're down and they had two plays with five to go and they on third and five, they take a shot, take that Emmanuel Sanders shot where it's like in this situation. Yes. If you hit that, it looks great. But you really should just put Garoppolo in a situation to get that first down and get four new tries at doing that thing and run that on like a second and five on the next um, set of downs. Um, and I think he'd, he would have done better if he did that. But I think he played really well. Um, just he's got to take the next step of being a fourth quarter qu- quarterback instead of just those first three and kind of the opposite of what Mahomes did. Yeah, I, I think there's kind of been an unfair narrative spun around Garoppolo, especially this postseason that's killing him when he really doesn't deserve it. I thought it was ridiculous hearing everyone bash him after he threw it eight times in the NFC Championship in a game that they blew out the Green Bay Packers uh, with how effective that run game was. Now, I thought he played fine yesterday. 
I think you can move forward with him, and I think he's a solid quarterback. He's got a bunch of the tools. He throws a really nice ball. I mean, listen, the best throw he made all day was the one to George Kittle down the sideline that got called back for the offensive pass interference. But Garoppolo throws a nice ball. Looking at his regular season stats, I mean, he had 27 touchdowns, 13 picks. He was 12th in yards. The problem is now leaving this game, the throw you think about is missing Emmanuel Sanders because he was wide open. Sanders beat his man, and that's a chance for the 49ers to go down in history there with a touchdown and possibly close out that game. So it's which dueling story do you want to go with? Now, what I how I kind of put it all together is that I like Garoppolo. I think you move forward. I think he's probably a top 12 or 13 quarterback in the league. I don't think he's one of the top, top guys. I think he needs help around him, but I absolutely think you can move forward with him. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he's for sure in the top half of the league and definitely would take him over... I mean, he's in the top half, like a lot of the guys. Yeah, exactly. He's getting paid a lot, which is he is kind of tough for mm-hmm. not being a top top guy. But I, he he brought his team to the Super Bowl. I mean, like you still you still did that, and yes. then played relatively well the entire time. Yeah, he definitely did that, and I have I have no um I've I think that um they'll also be back here, you know, in the next couple of years is maybe not to the Super Bowl. Oh, they're so talented. That's why it's tough to say they'll be in contention. That's a thing. Mm-hmm. It's tough to say you're gonna go back to the Super Bowl because it is so tough. Especially that division. Yeah. The NFC West is brutal. But they'll they'll be back in the, you know, contention of one seed, two seed, NFC championship game, and who knows, you know, another Super Bowl or whatnot. But there's yeah, he'll definitely I think he's a good enough quarterback to get it done. Surround him with great talent, what you said, and, you know, the sky's the limit. Yeah, absolutely. So moving along, we've got a packed NFL show, uh, just as, you know, obviously last game of the season. We don't have anything until free agency hits. Moving along on our, our rundown here, did did Kyle Shanahan blow this game? Is it fair to, to pin this one on him as many people pin the 28-3 um, game on him? I wouldn't say you pin the game on him because there are a lot of, there's a lot of just plays that went kind of against the 49ers and just the Chiefs defense and the Chiefs really stepped up. I think that's more of the story, but he was out coached. Um, and there, what there are certain plays where you can go back and, and definitely pin it on. This was objectively the wrong play call. Um, but I wouldn't pin it the same way that the other Super Bowl was pinned on him. Like, yes, he has room to improve and he definitely took a step from that last Super Bowl play calling, but, they didn't lose the game because he called a bad game. I think if I, yeah, I think 100% same thing. I don't think there's anyone to blame it on. I think that Kansas City just in the moment mm. stepped up better. If you're going to blame on one person, how about Richard Sherman? Sherman I mean, got beat a lot. He got beat on All that. He got beat on that Watkins Darrell double Darrell Revis was very happy yeah, last night. Like he, and he is granted one of the top cornerbacks in the league. Nothing, like no doubt about that. No question. Incredible career. Incredible career. One of the top cornerbacks ever. But there was a couple plays where he played very on Richard Sherman, like where usually that side of the field is locked down. Sammy Watkins beat him, who's like the second or third wide receiver, was in great. Tyreek Hill beat him a couple times. It was just, you know, Grant, he didn't give up that big long ball or he got mossed or something. But I think that if you want to quote unquote pin it on someone, you know, maybe him because he gave up that 40 yard pass on the, like, I guess, game winning touchdown drive that, um, game winning touchdown drive for Kansas City when they got their. 24th, 23rd and 24th points. Yeah, and, and I think that's fair. And so we take a similar approach then in that I I, I give it more to Kansas City than I do crushing Shanahan just with how good the Chiefs were and that they were just spectacular in the fourth quarter. Now, saying that, 
I do think they should have gotten Raheem Mostert more involved, only 12 carries uh, as compared to Damian Williams, who was able to get 17. But it's not like they weren't inventive on offense. They got Debo Samuel involved. He was able to break some big plays. They targeted George Kittle seven times and Sanders five times. So they were definitely trying to get it to their best players. This was just an instance of going up against a generational talent, a guy in Patrick Mahomes who's going to be here year in and year out with a chance to win it. So for San Francisco, against most other teams, they went in this game. That San Francisco 49ers team is so complete and so fantastic that that's a Super Bowl champion most years. The problem is that Patrick Mahomes is a freak. Mahomes is an absolute freak, and the offense that the man we're about to talk about right now designed was just unstoppable through most of the season. So Andy Reid picks up his first Super Bowl victory. Some numbers on Reid. He 222 wins now, including the postseason. That ranks sixth most all time. Before Sunday, no one had coached longer before winning his Super winning his first Super Bowl, and no coach had one more game without claiming a ring. So finally, Andy Reid able to come up with that Super Bowl ring. And kind of we talked about it in our Super Bowl preview. This solidifies Reed. It shouldn't have had to because Reed has been an incredible coach from when he first became a head coach uh, in the, I believe it was 1999 with the Eagles or early 2000s with the Eagles to where he is now. But Super Bowl number one for Andy Reed. So great to see the big man win one. It is, especially too. It speaks huge volumes to the type of character and coach that he is, where you had a lot of Eagles players congratulating him. You had, uh, you also had the Honey Badger is ending his interview by saying, hey, you know, this is for Andy Reed. We're so proud. We're so happy for him. Is I think that where you said, Pat, is he, it took him a little while, you know, it took him a long time, obviously, to get over the sump to win the Super Bowl. But if you look at that offense, where you said all year, the last two years with Mahomes has done, has surged to incredible heights. And then this game kind of culminated it with, you know, down at the end, where at times Andy Reid has sweated out and not done the correct things. He ended up pulling the correct, now, correct doors and, you know, he's a Super Bowl champion and for the rest of his life is a Super Bowl champion. So wherever he goes from now, he's got that ring. And he could get more. He Let's could, be clear yeah. about that like now I, with this Kansas City team that he has. Yeah, this team is it. what you said, how we talked about earlier with the Niners, that team's not going anywhere. This team, I mean, what's going to stop him? The only thing is going to be money. Or D4 jumping offside. Because yeah. remember, they were that close to being in the that's Super Bowl last true. year. Yeah. Probably would have won that one. Yeah. yeah. No, that's really- just, we'll talk about that game in a second. <laughs> but Conrad, thoughts on Andy Reid? Uh, definitely deserves this one. It's been way too long. And just, uh, I saw parts of his post-game interview and he's just like, he basically acknowledged about how long it's been and like, just how, how good of a relationship it sounds like he has with his players at all the time, um, on every team. And he still has that relationship with a lot of players. Um, again, like Pat said, just that speaks to his character and it, it, a lot of guys would get like deterred and even though they're winning all these games and not getting that big one, there's a chance you step away. There's a chance you stop trying as hard um, in coaching and studying the film. And then also goes out to his um, his coaching tree too about it's just ridiculous how many guys he has under him. Doug um, Peterson won a Super Bowl in Philadelphia. Yeah, and he's just got so his many offensive coordinator, so many great guys, and yeah, it. He definitely deserved this one, and he's probably going to get a couple more because he's got Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> he does. So two things on Reed as well. Something that he got eviscerated for while he was an Eagle was that he threw the ball about 60% of the time. That's something that the entire league does now. So Reed was just kind of ahead of his time there. Um, it took a lot of uh, criticism for airing it out when all we talk about now is the NFL being a passing league and who is your quarterback. And then the other thing is that Reed often gets crushed for his, his in-game decision-making. He went for it while well, Shanahan played it conservatively, especially towards the end of the first half. 
Reed was aggressive, and he went for it on two fourth downs for Kansas City. The first one with the, um, the beautiful spin moves in the backfield with uh, with, with the Chiefs with the direct snap to Damian Williams, which I absolutely love that Eric Bieniemy said he took that from the 1948 Rose Bowl yeah. between yeah, Michigan crazy. and USC. I mean, talk about coaching there. That's incredible. Then the other one, a pitch out to Damian Williams, who was able to convert for a first down. They weren't able to get a touchdown on that drive. They still ended up kicking a field goal. But again, it's just being aggressive and setting the precedent of that. So fantastic for Andy Reid. And then we'll go into one more thing while we're still talking about Super Bowl. It's just a different subject here. So that's the fourth one we've seen at Villanova, our final one in our time, which really hurts to say. Um, thinking of the Super Bowls we've seen, New England 34-28 uh, over the Falcons in overtime freshman year, just moving in chronological order. Eagles 41, Pats 33, Pats 13, Rams 3, Chiefs 31, Niners 20. How do you rank them? I think we all know which one's number four. Yeah. Yeah. The the well, Patriots-Rams game from last year was abysmal. But how do you rank one through three? Um, freshman year Super Bowls, NA not ranked, or NR not ranked. I won't know. But I think that um, I, I think just Nick Foles coming in and winning that Super Bowl against Tom Brady has to be one. I mean, I think yesterday's Super Bowl was really fun. This is a very biased take. I think yesterday's Super Bowl was a lot of fun fourth quarter. I guess... No, I guess I'd go New England second, freshman year, and then yesterday's third, just because it it's you can't overlook that Super Bowl. Well, first, what's cool about that is we're thinking about how good three out of the four years were for yeah. us here. Yes. They were all like one score, basically one score mm-hmm. games. Um, I mean the the game I took the most joy out of watching was probably this last one. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Right? I, first one. I mean it's. Probably because it was the first one without the Patriots in it, <laughs> um, which is just wild to say that it is wild to say that they were in three of the four years we were here. Um, I put that one just I don't know. I just seeing Mahomes and seeing that the new blood. Um, and then I'd have to go with that Eagles one, probably just because the the Nick Nick Foles story is just um, amazing. And then the 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 New England Atlanta comeback. Just I mean. They're all three amazing. Yeah, games. absolutely. So no, I'm gonna piggyback off Conrad. We have the same rankings. I'm gonna take his ranking and claim that as my own. I have a different ranking. That's so, a, I, so. I want that one because he put New England three and four. <laughs> that made me happy. <laughs> as we said, Patriots Rams definitely coming up at the rear there. For me, my number one, it is the New England Atlanta game, just because that twenty five point comeback will forever be known. It was the first and only Super Bowl to go into overtime. So for me, that that's number one. Eagles have to come in at number two because of how big of a story it was. And the Philly special goes down as one of the most memorable plays in Super Bowl history up there with, you know, David Tyree's catch, Leon Lett in a game against a certain team. Hey, I was, he, yeah. He fumbled. No, yeah, he fumbled. I know. Yeah. yeah I know. Don <laughs> Beebe kicked to Ed. So they, they won that mini battle, but they lost the war. At the end of the day, they walked off that field champions. Marv Levy. Yeah, no, that's oh, look what I've started. Yeah, <laughs> no, you did, and I realized that. I I apologize. That's for okay. That. And then it hurts to say it, but last night's number three, and that's yeah. just how good the other games it's were. Incredible. Because last night was fantastic and and so much fun and really a great exhibition for the sport. And that that's what the NFL is looking for is, is looking for points, it's looking for their young stars like that to be able to show up on the biggest stage. So fantastic there. All right, we're going to take a break and we're going to go at you with more NFL. We have. Can I say one more thing? Please do. Just that. Uh, NFL hundred year commercial they did before the Super Bowl was one of the best commercials I I've really like seen that. with uh having a bunch of young running out. Shout out my brother Andrew who loves him since he was on Sports Illustrated Kid of the Year. But that was an, it was a lot of fun because it had the former hundred year players that they had like in last year's commercial, 
and kind of tied into Jim Brown, Steve Young, Joe Montana. Yeah, it was incredible. It was awesome. And then I loved kind of how they tied it into them running out with the game ball. Mm -hmm. Is that was one of the best commercials that I've really ever seen in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think they did a really good job with that. But all right, we're going to send into a break and continue with NFL. We got NFL awards, Tom Brady, remembering the season and more. This is Round Tripper on WXVU, and we'll be right back. Back here on Round Tripper, we're going to piggyback a little more NFL stuff before getting into Villanova basketball, before sending it to a break. But Sherwood had to head off for a basketball game, see if he can come up victorious. We'll see. He says he's they're undefeated so far. So yeah. uh, the, the co-ed squad of, of our friends are playing right now as well. Yeah, that's hopefully that's going should, well. It should be just after halftime right now, so we'll see. Second half, definitely. So we'll see. See how that's going. Yeah, they won last week. Connor and Jordan leading the troops. Yeah. And then just ragtag group of girls. Yeah. <laughs> They're gonna kill you for that comment. Can we edit that part out for the Yeah, you can uh, want me to edit that part out. <laughs> no, Shannon Jules and Reb are killing it apparently, and Alana's getting some boards from what I've heard. So They're getting it done. You want me to edit it out? No, no, no. That's good because I wasn't going to edit it yeah, out. Yeah, I know you were. <laughs> Maybe I'll edit it out. Maybe I'll do the editing this week. That's zero chance at it. Yeah, I got to study. Then the, the map. <laughs> big test tomorrow. So we have the map memorized? Oh, the map is for so, sure. So, memorized. first off, which continent is the first one? Uh, Latin America. Okay, I was really hoping you knew which one it was because that's important. That, it's, it's he just good. calls it LA, and I'm like, yes, it's not LA. LA. Map. Yep, yep. I, I remember. It is Central it and South America. This is also for my global political economics class. Which I took sophomore year. And for those uh, keeping score at home, I'm not an econ major or business major or any of that. So we're kind of doing this for fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's a fun class. Yep. Yep. We'll see. Flashbacks the first semester sophomore year. But the NFL awards were also over the weekend where they got to run through all the different uh, awards as well as induct the Hall of Fame class. We're just going to run through the awards, kind of say what we think about for, for each of them. And uh, if we have any disagreements here, so MVP Lamar Jackson. I thought it should have been Russell Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, kind of tough to argue with Lamar. I mean, just an absolutely ridiculous season from Jackson. Obviously so tough to um, to see it flame out so early in the postseason there with the shocking loss to the Tennessee Titans. But, I mean, over 3,000 yards passing, 36 touchdowns. Um, through the air, 66% completion percentage, which is what everyone killed him on. And then he had a very, very solid completion percentage, as well as 1,200 yards and seven touchdowns on the ground. Just an absolutely ridiculous season for Lamar Jackson. No um, no issues of the year. As you pointed out in the break, a little interesting, offensive player of the year, Michael Thomas. It's usually the same as the most valuable player. Any thoughts on that? I think it's, I like that they kind of broke it up. I think they should. I don't think if you're the MVP you should be up for the offensive player of the year because let's be honest, a defender's never going to win this thing again unless they have an absurd season. No. Um, Lawrence so Taylor I, won it once. It's like forever ago. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like that they split it up and I think that's how they should do it in the future. And Michael Thomas did have an absurd year. Um, and just with that Saints offense really getting the recognition through Thomas and he's one of the better best wide receivers in the game right now and just... Yeah, I mean, he, he deserves it, and I like what they did. Yeah, so Thomas, I believe, just pipped Jackson by like two or three votes to be able to win Offensive Player of the Year. The big thing for him, he caught 149 passes, which is an NFL record. 149 receptions. I mean, just a staple of consistency for that Saints offense and what, what makes them so dangerous. 1,700 yards, nine touchdowns, most receiving yards since Julio Jones in 2015. 
normally it would go to Lamar Jackson because he did win the MVP, but I agree. I like giving it to different people as well. And Thomas absolutely deserved to be honored yeah. for what was a ridiculous season. Defensive player of the year going to Stephon Gilmore, cornerback for the Patriots. First corner to win it since 2009. That was Charles Woodson ending Aaron Donald's two-year run as defensive player of the year. Now, there were definitely other players in contention for this award, uh, most notably Trey White, Buffalo Bills, as well as um, uh, TJ Watt for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Are we okay with Gilmore winning it? Because I am just because of how dominant he was as a corner. Yeah, I, I, I think definitely, and I like, he was part of that Patriots defense that was really, as much as we made fun of, Ben Moy early when he was comparing the Pats D to the 85 Bears. Which he was incredibly wrong on. At, especially Which, that sure early. That that's... <laughs> very wrong, but they were a very impressive de- oh, yeah, defense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the Pats had a very good year defensively. Yes. So I'll give it that. I like this defensive um, award usually goes to a, a player on a team that had a dominant defense because there's not really stats as much as offensive players. You can get kind of behind the stats, especially with a with a corner like Gilmore. I it's I, I you can't you can't really argue with it. I mean, he really shut down um, his guy every week and just yeah, he 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 played great the entire season too. So yeah, I'll give it to him. Yeah, I, absolutely. Especially with the six interceptions, twenty passes defended, and just like you said, he shut down whichever side of the field you put him on, whatever receiver you put him on. It was just a incredible to watch especially saw a lot of it firsthand in the the giants patriots game on that on that thursday night gilmore was just a sight to see offensive rookie of the year went to kyler murray this is one that i actually do not agree with i think murray had a fun season it was great to see him progress and i think arizona has his quarterback however josh jacobs was spectacular in oakland uh, the running back out of alabama the big thing against jacobs was that he only played 13 games because he did have an injury but 1100 yards seven touchdowns for a rookie running back and what's mostly a passing league I would have given it to Jacobs there. Yes, again, Kyler had a very nice season. 16, you know, started all 16 games, which was, as I said, probably the biggest thing against Jacobs. But that's where I would have fallen on that. I think you could have gone either way with that one, but I, I understand why they went with Kyler because, I mean, he was the number one pick. Mm-hmm. He is a quarterback. Yeah, exactly. This is definitely, for the NFL and being a quarterback-centric league, getting this out there, then pumping up a running back that who knows what's going to happen next year because the league believes that all running backs are replaceable, which just isn't true. And it kind of just fits what all the, all the writers and everybody in the NFL mm-hmm. thinks right now. So, so it makes sense. And, and Kyler had a nice year. Let's, yeah, let's he be did. clear. Yeah. But if it, since it was so close, you clearly can see why they lead Kyler. Absolutely. Defensive rookie of the year. This one was kind of a no brainer. Nick Bosa, just a dominant, dominant performance of a guy that looks like he's going to turn into a superstar in this league. Now he did not have the most sacks out of any rookies. That was Josh Allen of the Jaguars had 10 and a half. Max Crosby of the Raiders, a uh, hard knock star had 10. Uh, I believe it was a fourth or a fifth round pick Crosby, but Bosa was just a force 25 tackles or excuse me, 25 quarterback hits, 47 tackles disrupted every single team he played against. And part of what, or one of the main reasons why the 49ers are in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Just the way he was able to help, turn around that 49ers team and especially that defense to make them one of the best defenses in the league and why a very, very big factor in why they made the Super Bowl, why people thought they were going to win the Super Bowl and why that front seven, especially that defensive line was so, so good. Um, And just being able to do all that as a rookie is impressive. And while 
like I was saying earlier about the defensive player of the year, stats don't always back up defense. Um, but you could just tell just his presence on that line um, was bigger than the stats showed. Yeah, absolutely. And then one more comeback player of the year. This was also an easy one. Oh. Ryan Tannehill. Listen, fantastic to see him get this award because, again, another guy that's just been crushed throughout his career. And you know what? He deserved a lot of the criticism. But Tannehill was unreal since he became the starter in Week 7. 70% completions percentage, 2,700 yards. Uh, led the league in yards per attempt, which is not something that you would guess because he was always killed in Miami for being more of a dump-off quarterback. But he was really stretching the field there with A.J. Brown. 22 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. Led the Titans to the AFC Championship game. Just good to see him get back. Yeah, definitely. Definitely good to see, especially because he's dealt with so many injuries and stuff and people thought Jay Cutler would be a solution after retirement and that's just not right. But just what he was able to do and take that Titans team that was really out of it before he started and bring them to make it to the AFC championship yep. game. Um, well, he didn't play again. He didn't play great. Well, he, he wasn't asked to do too much no. in the playoffs, but during the regular season, he was amazing and really showed that he's probably going to get, I believe his contract something is going to get paid by the Titans this year. Most it likely. was a one-year contract, yeah. so he does go into free agency. So it could be the Titans, it could be someone else. But Tannehill should have made some money for himself. Yeah, and you know what? He earned did. it from this season. So it'll be interesting to watch going forward. Story I want to hit before we wrap up the NFL season. As rumors came out over the weekend that Tom Brady might be Las Vegas bound. That would be interesting. So it, it came out that the Raiders are less than thrilled with Derek Carr. Something that I think we've all I known we've since all known the that. day that John Gruden got there. Um, that Gruden absolutely is not a big fan of, of their leading guy and cars on a big contract. Remember, but now yeah, he's I, the reason Max a bear. <laughs> that's, that's very true because yeah. they had to pay Derek Carr. Now I believe they could cut Carr, And now that they're far enough into the contract that it wouldn't be crushing for the organization uh, off of dead money, but they're apparently willing to offer Tom Brady a lot of money. And then just a day later, it came out that the Patriots are now willing to offer Tom Brady $30 million, which if you're talking about New England, I think that would be a massive, massive mistake yeah. because the Patriots need an infusion of talent. They really thrived this year off of Bill Belichick being Bill Belichick, as well as being able to force a bunch of turnovers. This team needs some playmakers, especially on offense. And if you're going to tie up $30 million, which Brady wants to get paid, which I totally get why Brady wants to get he paid. He hasn't been paid his entire career. He's taken pay cuts his whole career. It puts him in a weird spot now because he just had the worst year of his career and he wants to get paid all this money. But if you're New England, I, I would not match that number. No, I, I don't think you could because, like you said, while that defense was great, that offense needed something, especially seeing how this offense runs without Gronk not great. And then seeing all the wide receivers they went through and how many they lost for <laughs> off the field reasons. Mm -hmm. And then how much different the team would have been if let's say Antonio Brown, Josh Gordon actually oh, yeah, those guys were play the entire year. Um, I think, I think it looks a lot better and Brady's stats look a lot better. So you need to get some like equivalent talent because they went to just really all they had was Edelman on offense mm -hmm. um, who really he shouldn't be a number one guy. Um, and that's what that Patriots team needs. And at this point in his career, Tom Brady's not worth $30 million. No, no, I, I agree. And then one last thing for the NFL, talking about how you remember the season. So it was the 100th season in the NFL. It was a big deal all year, all year round. And I'll start with it. How I remember, just to go with the theme of it, it was a changing of the guard this year. So I look at it, 
The dynasty is most likely dead. I won't pronounce it officially dead because we'll have to see what happens in the offseason, but I feel like New England's going to have to start to move in a little bit of a new direction. Um, as long as Belichick's there, obviously they're a threat. That defense, as we just talked about, is incredible, but offensively they, they need something because they just didn't have it this year. You look at the new age of AFC quarterbacks. I mean, Lamar Jackson just won MVP. Patrick Mahomes just won his first of most likely multiple Super Bowls. Um, Deshaun Watson had a fantastic year. So you've got that going on. And then you've got some of the old guys moving out. Eli Manning retired. Daniel Jones took over in New York. Philip Rivers is gone with the Chargers, been a staple of that organization for so long. Now Roethlisberger will go, will come back this year. Um, but how much longer does he have in the tank? As, as Pittsburgh struggled with going between Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph <laughs> this year. And then Jason Garrett's out in Dallas, a guy that's coached there for a decade. There's a lot of change this year in the NFL, and it will be very interesting to see how that goes moving forward. How do you remember this season? Um, I mean, it's a very similar to what, what you just said, but I just, it's now the Lamar and Mahomes show. Um, it's just Daniel Jones. No. And Mitch Trubisky. Well, does that make you feel better? No, no, no. Bringing up his name doesn't make anyone feel better. Okay. <laughs> Especially when it's now the Mahomes show. Oh yeah. Right. Cause the bears yeah, had never, the never, third never pick traded up. Oh, oh, let's, oh, I didn't even realize. Oh, oh no. sorry. I forgot. Didn't mean to bring that up. I just realized how involved the bears are with both the teams that were just in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Which they passed up on Mahomes, and Mahomes literally just led the chiefs team. And you know, they traded up the one pick with the 49ers and gave them everything. Okay. And Raheem Mostert was a bear. Nobody even remembers that. I don't, <laughs> I don't fault them for that. No, I don't he didn't stick anywhere. No, I completely agree with you. That was all John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. And ch- actually, yeah. excuse me, Chip Kelly, who brought Chip him in, Kelly, which is yeah. hilarious. He's also a track star. So, shout out that. He went to Nats in college a bunch of times. There you go. Um, what was my point? Uh, you're talking yeah, about the, the quarterbacks. Bears suck. Yeah, the Bears. Oh, suck. Is that how um, we're gonna finish it? No, no, no. We're gonna talk about and how just this new age of quarterbacks that are a little more mobile. Um, mobile, mobile. I liked that. Wow, <laughs> mobile. Okay, mobile. Um, like Lamar has shown with rushing for over a thousand yards, um, and also being able to be a, be a good passer, and then Mahomes being, while not as mobile as Lamar being mobile enough and more mobile than most of the quarterbacks that have dominated this league have, have been. Um, and just, just seeing that and how kind of the prototype for a starting quarterback has changed this year with the, the two best quarterbacks in the league being Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. I could not agree more. So do you want to move into Nova basketball or take a break? Cause I wasn't longer than I think we both anticipated. We can take a break. Need a little bit of a break. Yeah. I need to drink that tea. Recuperate That's the right. Mind all right, right we're going to send it to a quick break then and get into Villanova basketball and miscellaneous. This is Round Tripper on 89.1. Back to the roots, Conrad and Pat, and we'll be right back. Back here on Round Tripper, and we are going to get into some Villanova basketball. So Villanova falls to number 10 in the polls, which isn't that bad because they were just eight last week after a one and one week. Next thing was we were going to have Sherwood talk about his experience um, doing color next to me for the, the Creighton game, but... We'll have to push that back a week because yep. <laughs> he is no longer with us. Well, we'll see if he's actually here again next That's week. That's true. I mean, priorities, priorities. You're I'm, skipping your game. I am skipping. I have not played a single co-ed game this year. I will not play a single co-ed game Until this the year. playoffs. Yeah, because the playoffs, it'll give us like a Tuesday night at 11 will be our, our game. Perfect time. Exactly. What What's better than that? Um, 
Jeremiah Robinson Earl named Big East Freshman of the Week. They might as well name this the Villanova Award at this point with Justin Moore and Robinson Earl, I believe, now have 9 out of 11, maybe? 10 out of 12? It's uh, It's been just pure dominance from the Villanova Freshman through this um, for the Big East Freshman of the Week Award. Yeah, they've for sure just dominated this award and it's just strange thinking of it now as like a Villanova award where for so it long never was it. Yeah. Like you said, never was because it just took so long for every, any freshman to grasp this system. Um, and you really didn't see guys really showing out until not even their sophomore year, their junior, senior year or red shirt junior year, which is just so impressive for these guys, for Jeremiah and for uh, Justin Moore and this, Really hats off to them. Yeah, absolutely. It what it speaks volumes to is that's kind of what you're going with is that how people have kind of attacked Villanova and tried to have top recruits not come here was that oh you're not going to play, you, you can't play early on. You're going to have to sit back and, and wait forever. Well, when you show Jay that he can trust you, and you show this coaching staff that he can trust you, and you know what you're doing on the the defensive side of the ball, and you can make smart decisions with the basketball and you can impact the game, you're going to be in. It's that simple. And that's what both of these guys have done. Justin Moore and Robinson Earl both started the first game of the year against Army. It was the first time Wright had done that since the early 2000s. I believe it was 02 or 03. And they've just continued to kind of stay at it throughout the entirety of, uh, of the season. So going into the first game of the week, it was on Tuesday night at Madison Square Garden. What could have been a tricky game against the St. John's Red Storm, uh, a team under Mike Anderson that is really brutal to play against with how much pressure they put on you while they're on defense. But Villanova was really never never troubled in this game. A 39-26 lead at halftime, finished 79-59, as we said. Sadiq Bay, 23 points, 8-14 shooting. This was Villanova when the offense really clicks. Yeah, they just got... Every starter was in uh, double figures and just... The turnovers was a little high with 13, but yes. I think you attribute most of that to the the press that St. John's does because it's a full court the entire game, um, which you just you just don't see. Um, and Villanova's really never been in a situation this year for an extended period of time of seeing that press, and especially with the inbounds play hmm. being such a struggle in just normal situations when it's every, every possession. You could see where those turnovers kind of pile up, but offensively they went... They 47% um, percent from the floor and then 41% from three. So it's just, if you're hitting like that, this Villanova offense is just tough to spot because stop because basically every position on the floor can shoot all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for Robinson, are all 14 rebounds as he continues to dominate in the post. Especially, I mean, I've been harping on it for a little while now and I will continue it because he deserves every piece of, of praise he's getting this year. Colin Gillespie. 17 points in 37 minutes, 13 rebounds, career high. His first ever double-double for Gillespie to go with six assists, three steals. Uh, I, I basically cannot give higher praise to Gillespie this year, who has really dragged Villanova to a, a couple of victories and just an all-around impressive performance for the Wildcats on Tuesday night. Now, yeah. the opposite can be said about Saturday at the Wells Fargo Center where Creighton came in and came away with a 76 61 victory over the Wildcats. Jermaine Samuels returned to action. He sat out that St. John's game, but played 30 minutes, but never really looked fully comfortable. Uh, the other thing about Samuels to look for is that he wouldn't sit down on the bench. 
who just kind of pace back and forth, that's a sign of someone that's definitely not comfortable yet if he doesn't want to sit down to be able to have that foot kind of cramp up a little bit. And uh, Coach Wright, even in the press conference, talked about that he definitely wasn't 100%. But they threw him out there because they thought they were going to need him, especially against a good Creighton offense. Creighton was able to get ranked after this win. They're now sitting at 21. We talk about that that St. John's game is what happens when the offense clicks. This is what happens when the offense doesn't click. Gillespie, the only starter in double figures. The biggest thing was that Sadiq Bay was held to nine points on just four of 13 shooting. Robinson Rowe went 0 of 7. When they go cold, they can go cold. Yeah, it's just... And then to go with... Not only was basically every starter except for Gillespie cold, they all played the entire time. With Samuel seeing 30 minutes, Swider 25, Bay 39, um, Robinson Earl 30, Gillespie 39. Um, and then nobody off the bench, really, except for Justin Moore, who had 33. Um, so really the only guy getting significant minutes that wasn't over three quarters of this game was Cole Swider. And that's just, especially when you're cold, like you, there is a factor of if you just keep shooting, eventually you're going to get hot eventually. But if you're cold and it's a contagious cold, it's just going to look so bad with no nobody being able to put anything in the basket. It's just, yeah, this team just needs it. And it almost shows, while they kind of got away with Samuels not playing against St. John's, it almost shows how important it is for Samuels to be completely healthy. Um, because I don't think he plays as bad if he's if he doesn't sit out a game, isn't worrying about his foot the entire time instead of getting boards, getting steals. He still did have two steals and a block, but the energy is different when you're not completely trusting in an injury. Yeah, it was very clear that he he wasn't at, at full strength, but we'll, t- we'll touch on Swider in, in a second. But a question I had there is, it, is Jay about to start kind of cutting down the bench? Because he's been going to a lot of guys. Now, that's not normally what he does. He usually has a pretty solid... Honestly, it's usually seven. Could be eight-man rotation, but he's been going nine deep for some games. Yes, he went nine deep here, but Antoine and Archdiakono got in with about 30 seconds left in the game. Is it time he cuts it down? You think that's something that they do? For for Slater, I think they're, they are going to find minutes for him, as limited as it can be, just to be able to give a guy like a Samuels or a Bay a little bit of a breather just because of the defense that Slater brings. Offensively, you have to basically admit at this point where Slater is, there's nothing, which yeah. is which is scary because it's obviously not good to have a player out there that can't bring you anything on the offensive side of the ball. He's got zero confidence because the teams are giving him plenty of space to put up shots, and he won't take them. Uh, he's not really driving. When he gets to the foul line, he's shooting 31% from the foul line. I mean, that you can't have that happening in, yeah. at this high level of college basketball. Antoine clearly hasn't adjusted to the system, which is okay because, as we talked about a million times, he had the injury problems and he wasn't able to be there from the beginning. Cosby Roundtree just doesn't really fit how Wright wants to play. Does this thing kind of get cut down to seven as I, we move forward? I I think it does, and I think it. this game definitely showed that it does because if you're playing Samuels and he's not looking like he's completely trusting that foot and you still play him 30 minutes... Imagine if he's healthy, like if he's healthy, he's playing 36, 37. He's, yeah. He's, he's pushing what Bay and Gillespie did, which is just, so the fact that he did it with coming off, coming off the injury 
shows you that Jay's down to seven, if not just the six, because Slater only played four minutes in that game. Uh, do I think that's possibly the right thing to do? I would have liked to see it a little different in this game, especially with just Samuels. I don't like him playing 30 minutes on the foot. That just, he just when he's not feel. healthy, because otherwise he needs to be out there that much. But this game, it was very clear. He yes. wasn't, um, he wasn't at full strength. Yeah, I just do that. But if Samuel's completely healthy, yeah, I think you have to go to seven because you just aren't getting anybody, any production from anywhere else because Crosby Rauncey likes Slater. He can't, he doesn't give you really anything. He might give you a little more than Slater does, but he mm-hmm. doesn't give you anything offensively and defensively. He, like you said, he's just the odd guy out because the system just doesn't fit him. Yeah, absolutely. A good thing to see though from the game was Justin Moore kind of returned back to the form that we saw earlier in the season. He's had a little bit of a struggle here as we've entered Big East play. I mean, he's going up against some tough defenses and he's a freshman, so it's not shocking to see that. But 33 minutes, as you said, six and nine shooting, 18 points, four or five from beyond the arc go with that two assists and two boards and for me it's time to move him back into the starting lineup yeah. and have swider sit down on cole swider as we said the, the shooting hasn't it just it's gone cold lately it was nice to see him get double digits against st john's but just two points over the weekend but more importantly the defense has just reached a point where it's unplayable right now in the season he's just got to sit down and get that figured out i mean creighton targeted him possession after possession what what he has been better at this year is his perimeter defense. But lately, he's regressed towards what he was last season where teams are just blown by him. And then especially if you get him into the post, he is completely lost. You put him up against a big man that's got any sort of competency, and he's able to just completely lose him with any drop step, dip of the shoulder, what have you. Screens, he seems like he's standing in no man's land all the time. I would rather have... I, I, of course, I would rather have more out there because I love Justin Moore. And I think he's going to be a superstar for this program. So I just think he brings you more, even though he doesn't give you the size. But if you're starting to look at it, you might rather have Slater out there than Swider because I, I'd rather have a guy that brings you all defense and no offense than a little bit of offense and zero defense because the defense is just killer for this team right now. Yeah, especially, I mean, when he's hot, like he was in that St. John's game, definitely worth being out there because I think he's able to bring obviously more than Slater and then at least with his size absolutely that gives him an advantage over more but when he's when he's getting this cold you and you can you can realize it early in games if a guy's cold which is why I think coming off the bench if you do decide to put more in the starting lineup would be be a good move because then he's that spark guy that he hits a three or two that, that kind of can snowball into something where if he's starting and he starts out O of two, you really can't really, he, he's not a guy that's getting back from that, that well, he has to kind of start hot. So I think maybe that six, six man might be a better spot for him and let him build up some confidence there. Um, Cause more already getting more minutes. So he might mm-hmm. as well put him in the starting lineup. Yeah. I would just change something up. Cause listen, Cole Swider is not a complete lost cause. Like we know, especially on the offensive side of the ball, he can be very, very beneficial to have him for this team. I just think of the career-high 26 he had against Middle Tennessee earlier this season. When he's on, he's good. He's so dangerous with that long-range shot. But the problem is, as we're saying, when he's off, they can't live with that defense. They just can't. He's got to be able to put the ball in the basket for them to be able to vindicate having him out there. And right now, it's not working. So I would change it up, put more in the lineup. I trust more a lot. I think Wright trusts him a lot, as you see with 33 minutes as a freshman. Um, I'd like to see that a little more. 
Now, looking ahead, Villanova has a massive, massive week coming up. Really, a massive three-game stretch. At Butler at Wednesday night, the house of horrors for Villanova, Hinkle Fieldhouse, where dreams go to die for Villanova. Number 19, Butler got blown out here at the Pavilion just a week ago. You know they're not looking to do that again, and they're not looking to lose more ground. As Butler's already got four conference losses, which is actually pretty surprising. Then... The big one that we're all looking forward to Saturday at the Wells Fargo Center, number 12, Seton Hall, just lost to Xavier over the weekend, which was actually very good for Villanova because even with that loss to Creighton, they still remain just one game back of the hall. And then a large game, or I guess. You've got Marquette coming into the pavilion on February 12th at 830, a game where our friend here will be honored. Yeah. Yeah. Or something. Pretty cool, right? It's always fun to be yeah, out Connor, there. Connor had a 4.0 last semester, which is obviously amazing, and he's going to get honored um, on uh, at. Is it? Is, it's not halftime. It's, it'll it's be at some point. It'll half. be one of the media timeouts. They haven't told us. Yeah, anything. yeah. They just said show up. But that'll be really cool, and especially fun for you as well because it's against Marquette. Yeah, we better not lose this. <laughs> uh, but Marquette obviously beat Villanova uh, earlier last month with a 71 to 60 win. So this is just uh, right now Villanova only trails in the Big East regular season standings by a game but three gigantic games against Huge three of the games. toughest teams in the Big East. Yeah, it's going to be just tough to get through because you get through Butler. It's punch after punch after Butler, punch here. A very good Butler team. Hopefully they're able to do something similar to what they did when Butler was here, but it's at Butler, which is just insane to play at. Every, nobody plays well there ever, especially if you're wearing Villanova jersey. Especially if you're wearing Villanova colors. And then, yeah, Seton Hall is going to be tough. And then... You think you get a break with Marquette because they're the non-ranked team, but what they did to them in Mar- in Milwaukee was embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. So like we said, just the next eight days are huge for Villanova season and, and how you look at this team moving forward. Three very, very large tests. So we'll be able to mostly evaluate it come next Monday night for our show, but that'll also be a little bit of a pregame for another crazy, crazy big game. And depending how the results go this week, could be even bigger yeah. against Marquette on Tuesday night. At the pavilion. But that'll wrap up Villanova basketball. Go to miss Wednesday night. Yes. Wednesday night. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you are 100% correct. Um, I class on Tuesday. Yeah. Yep. Nope. Nope. <laughs> you are 100% correct. It's a complete brain. Um, okay. So going That's into. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> thank you. Going into miscellaneous, and we'll finish up with Nova Nation here because we are sitting at 812. Uh, the Lakers owner honored Kobe Bryant on Friday night. We watched the first half. The first half because the game didn't start until 11. Um, what did you think of it? All the tributes and, and the game itself. I think they did a, a really good job and um, it was nice just to see everything around it. One thing I would cut down on is they did a lot of just the ESPN heads talking before it. I would have liked to see them go more into former the, teammates, and- former teammates, the maybe on the court. Like, I don't know. The game was supposed to start at 10 and while I love the the pre in in arena stuff didn't even start till ten thirty. Yeah, I would have liked that to be possibly moved up, being on the East Coast and not being it's that would make it what seven like seven thirty there. That's the only one thing because I you know like to sleep, but they did they did a great job, um, especially like as much as I knock LeBron a lot, his little speech before before the really game was job. fantastic. I really give hats off to him, and that was that was my favorite part of the night was hearing him talk. Um, he just made great points and didn't make it about him like he sometimes does. That's a fair point. 
No, no, it, it's a fair point. Yeah, I agree. I loved the um, Hallelujah playing in the background. I believe it was yes. Ben Hong, if I'm getting the name correct. I'm, it's I'm, Ben something. Yeah, I, I might be messing that up was, the last name. That was a name, beautiful video. But he was the violinist, and he did just an incredible I number it on cello. it. Yeah, cello, okay. All right. The violin's the small little I, one. I, the cello's the big one. I, I apologize. It sounded really pretty. How about that? Whoa, um, we're taking steps backwards. <laughs> <laughs> Along with the video, which they did a did a great job with, kind of chronicling his career, having different quotes from him. Um, it, it, it was it was very nice. I still don't know how those Lakers players went out there and played that game. Yeah, just a, cut, a couple days after. I mean, it showed Quinn Cook was crying on the court uh, during during the tribute stuff. I think I think LeBron did a wonderful job with his speech, kind of honoring just honoring the legacy. That, that was Bryant and basically saying that the Lakers family has everyone and, and, and they'll be able to pull through even as sad as everything was. So it was, it, it was great to see that. I think the NBA did a really good job to your point for the East coast people. I do wish it was moved up a little bit because that was, it was tough with the game, not starting until 11. Cause I would have loved to watch the whole I game. I wanted to watch the entire thing, but the first half didn't end until after midnight, after midnight. Cause that's when we went up. Yeah. Yeah. It's still a Friday night, but like, that's just one thing that it, it makes me sad about, all the great players being on the West Coast. It, that, that's kind of the pinnacle of it. It is, yeah. On that, so many people miss out on it. Um, and, like, you possibly missed out on Kobe if you weren't willing to stay up till like, 1 a.m. every day. Yep. No, it, it's completely fair. Sticking with the NBA, trade deadlines on Thursday. Are you looking for any big deals to come up? Yeah, right? Trade deadlines wow. on Thursday. Um, I've been hearing a lot about Derrick Rose. I have, too. Which I would love to see Derrick Rose go to a go contender because contender, mm-hmm. he deserves it. Yeah. He's an he's really re, redone himself this year. That's and what's playing crazy fantastic. is how he's revitalized himself because I just go back a couple of years. He, he was an afterthought. Anything. He was he was gone. He was done. Yeah. And just what he's able to do, especially when you go back to the injuries, but that took away his bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Like he could out athletic anyone. He was more athletic than Russell Westbrook. Yes. By a lot. Um and he's really think that MVP season that he had. It's just amazing. Like, and he couldn't shoot for a lick, and that didn't matter because he <laughs> could matter. blow by you anyway. But now he's got a shot. He's got a little. It's still not great three point shooting, but he's but definitely taking a step. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'd just be so fun to see him on a contender. I'd just, like to see, him and it'd be a great story. Absolutely. Not only because I love him because he's uh, from Chicago, was the bull. I grew up watching him, but just again, the the story of being able to take the time and remake yourself like he has is just. Amazing, but and other trades. Uh, D'Angelo sure. Russell's been mentioned in a lot of different deals as the Warriors possibly moving on. I think they will trade him, but I think it'll be over the summer. Yeah, I don't. If the right deal comes up now and someone gets desperate, I can see them moving him. But I, I think they at least hold him out for, for yeah. the rest of the season. And then Andre Iguodala has been supposed to been traded from Memphis forever many times since he was traded from golden the houston State. rockets are apparently looking at um, him right now yeah and quinn capella i believe is up for... that's the interesting one is that there looks like the rockets are trying to move capella capella has been a really good player for them but he's a free agent at the end of the year it's interesting the rockets are trying to really space things out and expect just run that team through westbrook and harden i'd like to see the type of assets they get back because otherwise i would say why would you move on from a really i don't think you would get anything worth the worth the while but also they just, they just play with that team and will take every advantage to get something shinier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think moving Capella makes the team better. I, I think I unless think you get, unless you get really maybe one. 
I don't, I don't even know any of the names out there that would make it worth their while. No. I don't think there is. Because you're not going to move them for draft picks. That's not the stage that they're in. No. They're, they're trying you, to contend for, for a, a player. Yeah. But it'll so, be interesting. Uh, it's a weird one. Then the other one that I actually saw just pop up is that the Knicks are, are shopping Julius Randle, apparently. I mean, all the guys they signed over the offseason are, are on one- to two-year contracts anyway. I believe Randle was a two-year deal with an option for a third wouldn't be surprised to move him on for the next two marcus morris has got to go they've got to trade him not because he's been fantastic for them and he says he wants to come back to new york but he can actually fetch them some assets yeah which is why the knicks will hold on to him and let him leave in free agency (laughs) um moving along webb simpson won the waste management tournament over the weekend and what was really really cool fortunately did not get to see the playoff because we had to hop in a hop in the car and go on the way to the grog which first off, before we move forward, shout out to the Grog, did a fantastic job of hosting us. Yes. I mean, we had 20 people and they did were really, really nice and very accommodating. Yeah, they're great. And also shout out to our server who was, a, it was her first night. I wish I knew her name because yeah. yeah, it was, a, yeah. Can you believe that? The, Th- that was the most shocking part of the night. Her first shift uh, as a, as a waitress at, at the Grog is Super Bowl night and she has to deal with a table of 20. Yeah. And she did a fantastic job. And she did a great job. Yeah. So now thank you to the Grog for, for doing a, a really awesome job. But Webb Simpson won the waste management after it looked like Tony Finau had this thing all wrapped up there on the back nine, especially on 18. Finau planted a, a really nice approach shot. Simpson left his short a little, his shot a little short and happened to drill a long birdie putt. Finau missed his putt, went to a playoff, and Simpson won. So, especially in the waste management, one of the cooler tournaments of the year. Nice to see some late drama in that. Yeah. I just wish I could have seen the end of it, but we were, we had to, we had other plans. Yes. I got nothing. It's golf. I <laughs> it's okay. No, golf. I, to- I totally understand. Um, and one more point, uh, my point, because obviously uh, Liverpool moved 22 points clear after 25 games. I He's I, still not going to say no, he thinks it's done. It's done. About time. It's, it's done. It, 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 they're 22 <laughs> points clear with 13 to play. They only need six more wins to clinch this thing. They could win this thing in early March. The earliest a Premier League title's ever been won, I believe, was April 14th or April 15th, which was Manchester United. They could pip that by a month. This is, if not the greatest Premier League team ever put together, one of the greatest. It probably is the greatest. There's never been dominance like this. They have 124, drawn one. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't happen. That's not how this league works. Teams beat up on each other in, in England. It Incredible. I, I'm running out of words for it. I will put in a really nice segment when they do officially clinch this thing because Liverpool have this thing wrapped up, winning number 19. It's done. I didn't think he was going to say that. No, it's just, I had they're, they're, no idea you were going to say that right now. They're 20. It, it, listen, even me, someone that is horrified of like the worst collapse in sports history and Liverpool have tripped up before, they can't. Out of Here's a stat for you. Out of the last 102 points available in the Premier League, how many do you think they've taken? Like 95. 100. I thought my guess was ambitious. What the? 100 out of 102 points available. This is the greatest stretch we have ever seen in English soccer. And they've done it with a net spend of $70 million over four years. $70 million. Well, Manchester City's is in the $600 million. It's just an incredible story that we will talk much, much more about <laughs> as yeah as we move closer. Wow, exactly because it's it's just that ridiculous. 
shout out for Sherwood as Djokovic won the Aussie Open. He we all watched on it. There. Yeah, we all <laughs> watched it very, very intensely. So I have to mention that for him. And Villanova Track had a meet as we move into uh, around the Nova Nation. Yeah, it was a good time. It was our official home meet, Villanova Invitational in New York. Home meet. Yep. Uh, it went well. Uh, everybody put in a good effort. The coaching staff to get a really good job putting on the event. Um, a lot, a lot of great performances, a lot of um, fun races to watch. Um, and it's just with, I believe it's wow. Four weeks now. Uh, yeah, exactly. A month until big East indoor getting close. Um, and where is that this year? Uh, Ohio, Cleveland, I believe outside Cleveland at Spire. So yeah, no, definitely just ramping up for that. Two more meets that most people will compete in. And then, uh, actually three more weekends of meets before, before you really get into it, it should be fun. It should okay. be fun. A lot of work to do, but it should be fun. Good. Now there, there we go with around the Nova Nation. The women's basketball team also had a big overtime win, sixty six, sixty four over St. John's over the weekend. Maddie Seagrass, I believe, had twenty three <laughs> points, and that is key. She continues to just She's light so up. Good. She continues to light up any team that she plays for Villanova. So really awesome to see that. And Coach Harry Pareto was uh, honored at the Villanova game on Saturday against Creighton for his 42 years at Villanova as the uh, the head women's basketball coach. So just fantastic to see that stuff all happen. But all right, that'll do it. You have anything else? No, I think I got everything I need to talk about. Yeah, I, I think we hit everything and we got it at 823. It's pretty impressive. Wow. We're getting really good at this time management thing on this. Yeah, who would have thought? Wow, very, very impressive. But all right, so that'll do it for our show Pat Zang, I'm Pat Zang. For Conrad Bayer and Jack Sherwood, I'm Pat Zang. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back at it next Monday night as we move through everything that happened in the sports world. This is Round Tripper on WXVU. Go Cats. Go Cats.